Welcome to Let's Talk. Where ordinary people are doing extraordinary things. We are live and interactive. With education. Spoken word. Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope, as well as our other streaming uh, channels. Oh, interesting show tonight. Um, tonight we review um, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, tonight we have my uh, cohort Drea. She's checking in. Uh, you know, we we we. Today been a very eventful day. As um, most of you may not know, today was a hearing on HR 40. So it kind of has my mood a little uh, jacked up because the hearing will continue tomorrow. But uh, I'm here and we're going to talk about um, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, it's the story of William O'Neill, who was um, uh, uh, working with the government working with uh, J. Evan Hoover and his people to infiltrate and give information in regards to the whereabouts of the movements, the planning of Fred Hampton. Um, that's what the movie was based about. It was uh, the Black Messiah who was uh, considered the chairman, Fred Hampton Sr., um, was part of the movie, but the movie was based upon William O'Neill and his conscience of being an infiltrator or AKA a snitch or AKA a rat, AKA eating the cheese. Um, so we have Drea with us. So we'll let Drea, Drea, how you feel about the, uh, I know how you feel about the Panthers. Um, give us, give, you know, let, let everybody know how you feel about the Panthers and uh, what they were doing. I really okay, so I really enjoyed um what the Panthers was doing as far as the Black Panthers and just a little quick tip. 
Um, the Panthers actually started in Alabama. Um, they came to Alabama and got the, the political knowledge from the Black folks there because they was barred from um, any political activity in Alabama. So just a tidbit for those who did not know that, and they took it over to the West Coast. Um, and then it just spread it. So I really enjoyed this part of their political, you know, activism, what they were doing for a community. Because at that time, you know, Black people in the 60s, um, you know, still trying to things out as far as with, okay, um, employed or be sustain have a sustainable life have Black people in America. So I really enjoyed it. Of course, when all great things um, are rolling, what happens? It get infiltrated with informants which we're going to talk about tonight as well. So that's how I feel about um, Black Panther. Yeah. Um, if I was in that era, I probably yeah. would have due to, you know, the education and the work that putting it in their community. I, I, I asked everybody in the chat, you know, um, tell us how y'all feel about the movie. If y'all want to discuss the movie with us, we, we, we would like you guys to um, discuss the movie with us too. Uh, our opinion is just our opinion. Everybody's entitled to their opinion about how they feel about the movement, the movement, the movie, the movement, the whole backstory. Um, knowing that William O'Neill eventually uh, put the shoddy to his head and, and, and took himself out. Um, I, I, I have to say, full disclosure, before any of y'all say, I, I, I was not impressed with the movie. Um, I, just how William O'Neill. Felt like he had a moral dilemma with his conscience. I felt the same way watching a movie about him. Um, it's a lot of mixed emotions, um, I guess, with the movie. When for me, I I felt as though that a person's story, first and foremost, an individual who breaks the law, an individual who breaks the law knowingly and willingly, should be able to hold his own water. Um, you break the law. You get caught, you do your time. Right. That come with the territory, the life that you chose. Because nobody breaks the law and didn't chose. So mm -hmm. for him to have did what he did, first and foremost, I have a problem with because he couldn't hold his own water. Um, and I'm mm -hmm. saying water because this is the politically correct word to say why it's women involved in the show. And I want to say a bunch of other things that I'm just not going to say. And then basically he was no different than anybody else who was responsible for Fred Hampton's death. Right. Um, he should have been held accountable for his death. He should have went to jail as a co-conspirator for his death, uh, as well as J. Edgar Hoover. And what J. Edgar Hoover has done and had done for his country and knowing that that man's name is still on that building in that FBI building down in D.C., it bothers me. I mean, I, I can't speak for anybody else. And I'm not, so that's my review. Um, I'm glad that it did shed some light on um, one of the things I'm glad it didn't try to shed no bad light on what Fred Hampton was about um, as a young man, 21 years old, was about the people, was about um, the legacy, him living the legacy that, that, that Huey had, that Prentice Bunchy Carter had, like all these guys that, that, were part of the movement, but even wasn't part of his chapter that he held reverence, he held reverence and um for them and just you know that's all I can say about it. We'll talk about it. I mean, I was surprised that Braun Productions uh, out of Canada 
they did that. They're very good with their movies. I mean, the, the acting was very good. I mean, Daniel did a Daniel did a great job. Lakeith Stanfield, we already know he knocked it out the park. He did what he he did what he did. Um, so that's that's uh you know, yeah, Julie, the love story was good too. Yeah, the love story was awesome. The love story was great. I I was. You know, I looked at the film from, as you all may, I mean, I know from a social worker lens, I'm a social worker, I'm a social scientist. So I'm all about the people, especially black people. I'm a black woman first. Um, and then I looked at it from the lens of, okay, I used to live in Chicago too. Just even like the spirit of, um, you know, living in Chicago at one point in my life, just the soulfulness that the city having, just even, you know, why people always deem it as cursed um, with the gang activity, but not knowing it's such a soulful and such a spiritual city, if you look behind it, because it was found by um, a black man, a Haitian man, um, Dusable. So, you know, that already is a spiritual thing for me within that, within itself. But with that, um, I see why Lakeith, so let's talk about Lakeith real quick. So Lakeith said this was his hardest role he ever played. Um, you know, I, he's one of my top, like, 10 actors of all time. Um, just the role that he plays in his versatility. Because I feel like he is a, um, a dude with morals and values. And when he has to play a character like William O'Neill, and that really infiltrated a good thing that was going on and caused the demise of a literally Black Messiah, I can see why. And I think he embodied that role. Because I remember watching the interview when he said that, he looked like, I think he cried during the interview. Because he was like, yeah. oh, I didn't really want to play a snitch. I get it. And so, like, like what you said, Q, if you are going to do, um, you know, street activity, hood activity, do your big. Do not, okay, um, sell out someone who's doing things for people that's going to uplift people because we don't want to do your time. What they said, if you did the crime, then you need to do the time. Um, I enjoyed the, the cinematography and even just how it was well written. And just going back to the, let's go back to the how young they were. I think he was, um, I think William was, what, 19, and Fred Hampton was 21. What a child on the way, right? And so I think about my parents grew up in that era. Like my dad had graduated from high school in 1969, and my mom graduated in 1970. So I always think, as a matter of fact, my brother was born in 69 as well. So, you know, thinking about that era, it was recent. You know, if your parents are around the same age as my parents in their 70s, it's not like something happened 400 years ago. But let's look at it in this context of like people are still doing the same thing every day. People are still snitching um, and bringing down, you know, great programs or organizations because they don't want to do a big. But you did what you did. So you have to face the consequences. I enjoyed the movie to the point I did cry because of I'm saying to myself, what's my purpose at 38? Of, you know, how I can uplift my own community and just even, um, you know, Black liberation. And it's not Black liberation first, but also, too, like I said, coming from the social work lenses, how can I also empower people who, because we looked at it from a class standpoint and a race standpoint, um, if people peep that, and how he was able to have so much power to, you know, even liberate and help folks who are, you know, um, Puerto Ricans, those who are, you know, poor white folks from the Appalachian Mountains. That's powerful. And when people start seeing you got that much power to really, um, you know, bring about change, of course you got to get taken up out of here. I know I know. one of the things, and um, just to let, you know, FYI, um, 
the circle that me and Andrea, uh, me and Drea travel in, this movie was talked about two years ago when we met. Um, because because Daniel plays Flint Hampton, a lot of people were upset that a person that's not a funda fundamental Black American was not playing the role. And you understand it. You'll understand the complexities, even in Daniel's interviews of, not, of playing the role. Um, he talks about the role. I do think the role that he played was good. I know a lot of people didn't like it. I know that um, everybody in the chat and, and probably you too, Dre, probably the one good thing that everybody might have said after watching this movie was, I am a revolutionary. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> the, but, but the... Um, the Speaking of Lakeith, I, I can understand, you know, you you being put in that moral dilemma. I know one time Denzel said the same thing when he had played Frank Lucas. A lot of times when you're playing roles that are real characters and you have to get in character as an actor, it makes you feel uncomfortable because, you know, everybody has a moral compass. Right. And you may and you may feel like, OK, I'm going against my moral compass. Um one of the, one of the things why why I would voice my displeasure of the movie why I didn't like it um, and I'm not trying to sway nobody else's opinion is a lot of these movies movies like this movies like the other Panther movie that Mario Van Peoples did for me these movies is not for us mm -hmm. these movies is for mainstream America right. who don't who don't understand uh, particularly particularly Anglo-Saxon American people. And the reason why is because I believe that a movie spoke the truth about the Panthers, and you'll see what type of programs. Wick came from the Panthers. Um, breakfast programs came from the Panthers. And what they were doing, um, stoplights came from the Panthers in certain cities, inner cities. Um, I believe that if they spoke the movie spoke to the core of what the Panthers were doing in the communities, um, speaking out against police brutality, still going on today. Um, you know, I think if movies spoke to the to the root of the Panthers, people would understand because a lot of people think that the Panthers were racist. The Panthers were not racist. The Panthers were not terrorists. The Panthers were not people who broke the law. Most of the Panthers were college students. Most right. of them were educated, educated younger people. Um, UCLA pumped a lot of Panthers out, uh, a lot. Uh, if you see, and most people would think Angela Davis like was like some type of rebel. If they didn't know, if they didn't do their research, they'll think she was a rebel because she was a Panther. So I think that one of the messages that, that need to be conveyed is that we always think that racism and thinking that we're in 2020 people should know it's a it's a whole it's millions and millions of americans that do not understand the black experience right exactly and our story and what we go through right and and, and this movie to me could have really made people like hold up fred hampton was a kid 21 years old. Hold up. He was about the people, you know, and they gave a little bit of glimpse, but I think a little bit too much into um, uh, the cheese man, William O'Neill. So, you know, I think a little bit too much went to him, but I understand the name of the movie was Judas and the Black Messiah. Exactly. Exactly. And I felt like Judas was FBI.
period. You know, um, and the Black Messiah, because they had a whole case hold, not just with, you know, Fred Hampton being the Black Messiah, but we're talking about, think of everybody that's in the, the, the divine masculine. That's what I call it. You know, with Malcolm X, with MLK, um, you know, with Stokely, you know, that whole era was just so powerful and so soulful. So they're like, hold on, we got to take these folks down one by one. Um, and take their whole organization down because, like they say, okay, we got to do things differently to kill Fred Hampton. That's cool. We can injure this person, but we got to take him all the way out so we can take the soulfulness, we can take the power, we can also, um, you know, even just um, self-destruct Black people and self-sabotage. Um, so what we still see to this day. So, you know, it wasn't just good enough just to take, you know, okay, let me just um, put him in jail. I got to take him all the way out. And then for you as another black man to be okay with that and draw the blueprint up of where he's going to be at, I wasn't okay with that. And I think that's when I had wept. I literally wept and had to take like a long way home because I was not okay with that. Come on, how can another black person do that to black people if we still see that, like I said, now in 2020? And just even like, it's kind of like it was like a prophetic actually like seeing how he was assassinated in his home home. And you think about brothers and sisters getting assassinated in their own homes but they wasn't even a part of any type of organization for the people they were just regular normal nine to five working black folks um, one of one of the things that I, I thought was interesting is it was a part of the movie and for a lot of people that don't know it was a part of the movie where they mentioned the underground the underground movement the underground movement you guys was a white radical movement um bill air professor bill airs out of chicago was charged with bombings. Professor Bill Ayers is still around. Right. Um, he's still alive. The only time Bill Ayers was even talked about in the last 20 years is because he was very close with President Obama. So they basically made President Obama dis disavow Bill Ayers. Right. But I, I bring this up because Bill Ayers and them was robbing banks. Mm -hmm. They was they was they was applying pressure to what we consider the system. They was robbing banks and they was doing bombings. They was literally breaking the law. And Hoover didn't really go at them as hard as he went after the black movements. And, you know, I know that a lot of people would be like, well, this was in the 60s. This is in the 70s when Cointel, Cointel Pro still exists. It's still going on. And it, it, it's amazing how, you know, we are probably the least likely to, build, to bomb buildings and destroy this great country that our ancestors built but we're the first one targeted for trying to you know fight against police brutality fight against people not being treated fairly and it's like the same old movies <laughs> this is why i was so upset i guess i, I mean I, I i really tried man I, I tried this is not a movie that i could watch a second time i mean I'm not glorifying William O'Neill at under no circumstances. And I wouldn't even have did the show if I would have known. <laughs> right. But the thing he went out, he went out as a you know, he still lives his best life. I lived his best life because, you know, given, you know, wealth, he was still, you know, under contract for being a informant. He was getting two hundred thousand dollars what a year. He was also given a business opportunity. So he went out as a coward. You had all those GAs, and you mean to tell me you still live with all this guilt? And then after 
you pretty much told your story after the eyes on the prize part two. You want to kill yourself? Like you still yeah, and I think and I think that a lot of people, um, you know, even though like I said, it was the sixties, seventies. A lot of people may not realize this, but um, it's still some Panthers that's in prison. Mm-hmm. It's still some BLA Black Liberation Army members mm-hmm. that's in prison that was fighting for liberty, fighting for for. It's amazing that they were fighting back then. Um, Stokely Carmichael um, right. was a socialist, and it's amazing that socialism, quote unquote, is on the forefront now in today's politics. When exactly. these young men, these young men, was o- always speaking about um, socialism, socialism back then. So it's just you know it's it's bothersome for me to um to cross paths with some old 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 BLA members and then you think about this month being Black History Month um the FBI just upped the ante on catching the side of Shakur I don't know if people been keeping up abreast of that but they just put out another bolo basically saying anybody got inf- more information on her whereabouts let us know so it's like ah right like she an old woman now let her go like i understand she's allegedly had killed two cops but w- when you think about everything that was going on and the climate that was going on and it continues to go on it's like ah, mm-hmm. really really <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And it's like there's things that's precedent now that people need to take care of instead of you worry about her in her late 70s, still trying to whatever. Um, another thing that I did want to bring mention too is um, I think someone mentioned about the love story. I really enjoyed the love story between um, I came, oh, Deb and um, with Fred because it humanized him, right? And I think a lot of times when we watch these um, movies or we hear about our historic black figures, we're like, oh, they was like a martyr, but they was actually human. You know, they was living a human experience. And I really like to see that thought aside that she brought out of him and that how she, you can just tell like she has so much respect for him, just the way that she looked at him and just even like how they was like in partnership together. She still was like, okay, he's the leader, but you know what? I'm going to make sure that I'm gonna help him to get to a, get to his purpose, and he's gonna help me do the same thing. And then what it was like showing black women in their femininity and not being so, you know, like, oh, I gotta be the masculine and feminine. I really enjoyed that because you know the sisters, they have the pistols, they have the pistols, they was ready. But that love story is like what we needed to see as well. That we can still be soft and still respect black men, and vice versa, and the black men can respect us. Um, we don't see that a lot in this era, you know, when it comes to movies in 2021. So I really enjoyed that, and that you know, he was pretty much like, okay, she was like the true ride or die. And it was like, all right, there's a limitation with that too, you know. So I really appreciate that part. Yeah, they, you know, one of the things that um, you know, the queen is the queen is still alive. Um, mm-hmm. they they just had a. a they had started some GoFundMe to save the house, but um, the house that Fred Hampton was killed in, um, actually, from what I understand, is a museum now in, mm-hmm. a, in, a, in a clinic. So, you know, hopefully everything, the, the people of Chicago will be able to tell us more. That's there. I just think it's just, you know, uh, the love story was, it, it was what it was. These guys from a different cloth and Cheryl's women was cut from a different cloth. All the women um 
her, Coretta Scott King, Betty Shabazz, uh, Mega Eva's wife. They was just different. Um, they understood that their their husbands were part of something that was bigger than them being selfish and understanding to carry on their legacy. Um, even with with um, Fred's wife being basically the mother now of the movement um, and what's going on now. It's like, you know, how how much homage could she have done? You know, what I always find unique about these type of women is they never remarried. I mean, a lot of, a lot of cases that they gave, you know, their love died when their husbands died. So they right. basically became, they basically became the face of the movement. Right. So to say, you know, I'm quite sure that, um, when you talk to these, when you when you talk to her, because she's the only one that's still living um, out of them women, just a wealth of information, just mm -hmm. like be like a sponge if you're able to just conversate with these people and just you know, even his son who was in the womb. Um, I have some videos that I, I actually had watched. If you listen to him talk, his whole cadence sounds just like his father. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and I like how the. Um how Deborah, I think she changed her name to Akua, something like that, and then her, the son, um, they drilled, if you guys read the interview, um, Daniel Kobuba for eight hours. So all those disparaging um, probably marks that he said about Black Americans probably came up and got drilled. You can't think, okay, I'm going to play this part, because they're like, yo, do you understand the legacy this man had left at 21 years old? You can't be out here disrespect. I'm just saying this is this is my conversation. Like you can't be out here disrespecting Black Americans, and you know he left a legacy. Um, you know, so I can imagine that conversation and the energy behind it. And another thing I want to also bring up too is it, it was kind of eerie how Fred Hampton's mom was a babysitter to Emmett Till, right? When the, the parallel to that story, and like I think that was another reason why I cried too, was like, yo, that's how that was airy of how like she was babysitting Emmett Till and how he got his life taken away by allegedly, you know, whistling at a white woman. And that white, I think the white woman and the men are still alive. Um, yeah, she's still the, she's she's one of the original Karens. Right, I call her the original original Karen. Karen, she's she's definitely Karen's grandma. Um, yeah, Romique, Romique, you brought up a, a serious point. The black narrative is heavily grotesquely distorted in the general cinematic genre. You're you're right in your in your in your opinion, it's just truth. Your opinion is speaking the truth. Like sometimes in movies, um, we just want our story to be told mm -hmm. with the truth. Um, and it's the amazing thing that Hollywood plays a major role in um, upholding white supremacy. Ho Hollywood played the original birth of a nation. And if anybody knows about the original birth of a nation, they'll understood that um, what what type of impact that had on people back then where TV was TV was just basically just pictures and, and, and no voice. So understanding that in Hollywood is culprit. As I like to say, in um, in in, uh, in upholding white supremacy, and they should be held accountable with with some of the reparations bill that's due, um, because yeah. they play a major part. And like our stories are never really being told 
in its truth. Like, you know, the Henry Henrietta Lack story. Like, a lot of people don't know that stuff. Um, for those in the chat, Drea is a, a professor at Tuskegee University. You know, she's right there at the base of where the Tuskegee experiment started. I mean, she's literally walking the grounds that this stuff happened. Um, and people still uh, don't understand the impact of, of what that stuff had on our people. Um, people of people of black origin still run interference for white supremacy, saying it wasn't that serious. And we have somebody who's on the on the show that literally was is right there practically every day of yeah. her life. So. We need to understand that this stuff still has an effect on our people and um, continuously. And then, like you said about white supremacy, right? And it always has to be like a white savior in a movie, um, which makes me very upset. And then also how our story does get watered, like you said, digested mainstream America or Anglo-Saxon's eyes um, instead of them picking up a book to really know who Fred Hampton you know, was and like, you know, why a movie is based around his life, you know, and the power that he had as a black person. So it shouldn't just take, you know, white America to go watch this movie like, oh my God, now I got it now. In 2021, they learned about black people through rap music. That's how much they don't have to know who we are as a people, what we built here, you know, why we're still fighting for reparations or just even a legacy we're trying to continuously establish. They're still trying to figure out, yo, how they still here after 400 years plus. We've been trying to, you know, eradicate them, genocide them. Um, so, you know, they don't have to know our history, but we have to know theirs, you know? And yeah. then yeah. they know our history is watered down because they're not actually going to Amazon or to a library to get a book to actually read it from front to cover. They want us to educate that's not my job to educate you. My job is to educate my students in the classroom at the HBCU, but not, you know, mainstream America. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so that, so that, so that it, I mean, like I said, um, you know, me, me looking at it from my lens, I, that's why I may have been critical on the movie. I know everybody I talked to was like, it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. They liked it. I, I did like the acting. Um, it just was bothersome for me. For me, like I said, it, it wasn't <laughs> the issue. The issue. I. 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 I was once in the street, so I kind of understand that that it comes with a rule that when you when you break the law, you hold your water. You know. Um. So that kind of like bothered me that yo, you ain't have to do that, dude. You wasn't even a part of them. You want to be a part of them, like yo, like you ain't commit no crimes with them. Like no. and, and and it even speaks about one thing I did notice about the movie that we need to understand that back then the gun laws was real laxed. I mean, even <laughs> um even uh if anybody knows anything about the Deacons of Defense and the N and how the NRA actually supplied the Deacons of Defense with guns against the KKK. So we need to understand that we had guns. Right. Black people had guns back then. Exactly. Gun laws got gun laws actually got stricter, mm -hmm. in my personal opinion, because blacks had guns right. and was willing to and was willing to use them. Um, if you live in certain states, you'll understand that the gun laws is lax. You got might live in an open carry state, so you'll see where a lot of people have guns. 
but we need to understand that them people had guns. Them people knew the law. The Panthers were very, very smart people. Exactly. Um, and it was very disciplined, too, because even the movie, they showed, you know, like the discipline and how when he did get, you know, was trying to, what they call it back in the in the 60s, trying to rap to the sis, that was like, not paying attention. You need to drop the money push up. Which I was like, yo, we all have to be on the same accord and also to have, be on the same accord with policies, procedures, and have some type of bylaws. Um, you know, so I really enjoyed that piece that they showed the discipline piece too, because a lot of times going back to mainstream America, oh, black people are out here wilding out. They're crazy. They're not, they're, they're not disciplined. But it shows the discipline. Even with, I have to take it this level too that we discussed, with the gang activity. From what I heard, it was actually based off of the Black Peace Stone Rangers, but they didn't want to glorify Jeff Port. For anyone who knows about Black Peace Stone Rangers, you know, one of the starts of, you know, quote unquote gang um, organizations um, in Chicago. So, you know, I think their names was like something like that. Some, I name and, and I know, and I know that, I know that we got, we, we got some people in Chicago that's definitely um, probably going to tune into the show. But like, even like, like Drea said, Jeff Ford, um, Larry Hoover, these guys, you know, they were the, the gang, the quote unquote gangs, um, it's a good, it's a good thing you could look at YouTube where Bones did a thing on the Bloods and the Crips where he basically said how these gangs were basically what they call the bastard, the bastard children of the party. They were the kids of the Black Panther Party movement, and um, they were in these inner cities and basically trying to continue the work of the Panthers. Um, and even uh, I know Larry Hoover basically changed the GDs became growth and development. Um, mm -hmm. And and these guys are still in prison. Uh, Larry Hoover actually, I think, just got a whole bunch of time, man. They gave, the government gave him a whole bunch of time for some stuff. And, you know, it makes you wonder, like, was these guys framed? I mean, even if you don't have any idea of history and you don't know, you don't know if they was framed or not, because you see, Fred Hampton went to jail for ice cream. Exactly. Like ice cream. <laughs> and you knew the tactics that Hoover was doing. So the remnants of Hoover and Hoover's disciples of what they was doing in FBI and trying to stop people from having movements, um, you know, it's still around, man. And, and it's just sad that. That, that people think that a person that goes to jail, some people go to jail for nothing, right. just trying to organize. So I guess this is still a reason why I don't like William O'Neill. Because <laughs> he didn't want to do the time. Well, Nicola, you're right. You read a comment, and one person was mad because the story was told from the point of view of snitch, and they didn't tell of the good things Friend Hampton and Black Panthers did. I, I I agree a thousand percent with what you're saying, Nicola. Um, you know, I think that it it we discussed earlier. I think that one of the things it should have done is explain a lot of the good things um, that Fred Hampton and the and the Panther movement was doing in Chicago. Uh, and how he was able to unify different organizations that was going on. Uh, exactly. I think that was that was for him to be 21 and have that charisma and foresight was 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 incredible. And this is why 
uh, Hoover and Cointelpro had to take him out. Right, exactly. And, you know, um, I really liked it because guess what wasn't behind it? A bag wasn't behind it. When we see organizations now that unifying folks, you know, saying, oh, we for the people, is you know, your brand's going to get, going to be popping. You're going to get a blue check um, on all these social media sites. So, yeah, I understand different era, different time. But now, you know, you kind of have to side organizations like, okay, but what's in it for you, though? Like, are you really doing it for the people to be a change agent and help other people be a change agent? Or is it coming with some type of thing, um, a bag, a blue check? Because remember, attention is a new currency. So, you know, like, um, I think a lot say, of people, Dre, Dre, say that again. Attention is a new currency. So, you know, like, that could be the bag for somebody. Like, yo, I'm, I got a blue check. I'm verified. Um, you know, when it comes to these social media streets. So, you know, like, that's what I really love. Like I said, back in that era, it's like, yo, we're doing it for the people and I'm a ride or die and I'm going to die for the movement. These people ain't trying to die for no movement. They're like, hold on, wait. Like, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. I only signed up for like, just to get a blue check. That's it. Yeah, 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 Nicole. He, um, he, he definitely had the gift of gab. I mean, some people, some people just are born with um, that charisma. Um, a, a lot of a lot of times, uh, charisma and having good oratory skills is something that a person just have. Um, I remember one time I was, and, and I just I just want to take it somewhere because I know Dre is a, a a social worker, so she gonna get a kick out of this one. My job had this thing where we had a class where they was trying to say leadership can be taught. And I've argued them down to about leadership can't be taught. Some people say it could be taught. Some people say it's inherent. So I'm of the opinion that it can't be taught. Either you got it or you don't got it. Most good leaders, most good, good leaders were excellent followers. Mm. Most good leaders were excellent followers. Um, right. And, and the only time their leadership gets in question is when people don't know how to follow properly. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's what it is when you when you are a servant leader, and I think people have to understand leadership is different too. Um, when you are a servant leader, you got to be a great follower because you are actually doing an assessment on the person who's the actual leader at that point in time. Um, it doesn't mean you got to be the best orator. It doesn't mean you got to be, um, you know, the one with the most clout. You just got to know how to. Okay, they did something that I'm not feeling. I'm gonna do something totally different. Um, so, you know, when you're a servant leader, you have to look at things differently and navigate things differently because you got to know how to serve people first. If you don't know how to serve people, you have no business being a servant leader in a leadership position, period. So so, so one of the things that I got from the chat and, and basically from our discussion is we want to be able, we have to be able as a people. And I know 2021, a lot of us feel like we arrived um, as people. Um, a lot of no, no, I get it because we've had a we've had a black president. We have a female a female black vice president who's literally a breath away from becoming a black or Indian or Asian female president. So I know a lot of people, uh, black women, women. I don't like to say the uh, the POC word, what that means. So I know a lot of people. A lot of us feel like we arrived and we've gotten to a point. But honestly, we're actually a step back because we don't even control our own narrative nowadays. And that's one of the things that I'm getting from the chat, getting from the discussion is being in a position to control your own narrative. Right. 
That's where we want to get to. When our stories is told, when the stories of the Fred Hamptons, the Malcolm X, the Martin Luther King, the Mega Evers, uh, Stokely Carmichael. I mean, it was thousands of people. I mean, I know a lot of people, and, and, and Stacey Abrams deserves all the kudos she get for what she did in Georgia. Right. I don't even think a lot of people understood that Fannie Lou Hamer organized the civil rights marches. Exactly. I just think Fannie, I think most people just thought Fannie Lou Hamer was the lady that said, what the young people are saying, that our blood is dressed on that, that little clip. Like this woman was remarkable. Yes. And what she did and how she organized the civil rights movement. And it's still a lot of the civil rights leaders around. Um, I know I personally have been hard on some of them with some of the statements I made. I mean, they did what they did. I just think that the, the baton from them to us was broken. Um, but I definitely think that we need to get to a point where we control our own narrative. We don't need nobody else telling our story no more. Exactly. And that's like you have said too, like um, I hope that Stacey Abrams do pay home to Fannie Lou Hamer, which is one of my sheroes of all time. Um, to come from being a sharecropper to, you know, having her actual um, womb taken out, you know, because she's part of, um, you know, diabetical apartheid. So, you know, not having that much education to say, I'm sick as high, being sick as high, and I don't care if you got PhD or no D from our house, we in this together. Um, we need to control our own narratives. And I think a lot of times people feel like if you got a gift, everybody that's on this platform have a gift. I don't care if you have two people following you. Still push your, your purpose is to push your work out there. Whether if your work is a writer, whether it's in politics or whatever the case is, if that's your purpose and that's the vision that whoever you serve, your higher power, you know, gave you, put it out there and control your own narrative and don't feel like we arrived because, you know, we have some figureheads who have the same melon, right? Um, that's just symbolism and we have to get beyond symbolism. We have to figure out, okay, how can we really tap in, you know, to leave a legacy, not because we want to look good on social media, but actually really propel, you know, like a movement forward or our own communities, or our own families um, moving forward. And I think we get that because sometimes we get too lax and like, oh, we take it now because we don't have mama, you know, um, in the White House and now we got Kamala. But that doesn't anything we still got a lot more work to do yeah like it, it, it's it's funny um even in the moon even in the movie when he went to the um the alleged gang house and he says something about um malcolm and martin and it's amazing how a lot of people who try to teach us history in school will always talk about the differences between malcolm and martin i know when i speak to speak to dre dre knows i'm a um a big a big um I, I love Booker T. Washington, mm -hmm. and when you when you talk about Booker T. Washington, most people be like, "Well, you know him and W. B. Du Bois didn't get along," and they always speak about their differences, but don't ever speak about how how Martin felt when Malcolm got killed, right? How hurt he was, exactly. and and before uh, W. B. Du Bois died what he said about Garvey and what he said about Booker T. Washington. So right. I think that a lot of times that narrative thing again, if we don't explain the narrative and allow other people to explain the narrative, they'll tell you half the story. Oh, they didn't get along. No, their ideologies might've been a little bit different, 
but they always spoke highly of each other. And they, I, one of them spoke highly of the other one. Definitely, whoever right. died first, the one who didn't die was like, wow. Exactly. Wow. You know, right. exactly. so so that's very, very, very important. I saw something the last couple of days where somebody spoke ill of um, Garvey, and I was shocked who did it. And, um, mm. you know, this is what people do. People, people, people will run interference for uh, to uphold white supremacy. That's just who they are. They don't even mean. They don't even know they're doing it. You know, white supremacy. As 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 if you study some of some of their works, you can just leave it alone, and people will just uphold it. <laughs> exactly. And going back to like you said about controlling the narrative, that's why we have to speak to each other in a certain way too. If we want people to follow us, or we want to build this brand, or build this organization. We need to speak to people in a certain way. We need to speak to people on their level. Not saying you got to be grimy, you got to be shaky. You got to speak to like the heart of the people. You can't be talking wild crazy to people out here in these streets and thinking, oh, well, why I'm not having nobody talking? You have the charisma that takes kindness, that takes compassion, that's empathy. And that's those are some hard skills. Those are interpersonal skills that a lot of people haven't mastered. And some people will never master because they're like, oh, why should I have to be talking to people like this? I should be out here talking crazy to people. You got to know how to really navigate how you speak to people in a certain way and how you even uphold your own self. That's how people, you know, are able to really have propeller movement going forward and not, you know, um, what's, what you call it? Not downgrade or degrade people because they may not have knowledge yourself or knowledge of the things that you have knowledge of. Once upon a time, it took you you know, a teacher to appear to teach you some things for you to have the knowledge. So I think sometimes we get that, you know, um, misconstrued, you know, when we come to um, old people. Ain't that, ain't that what they say? When the students are ready, the teacher will appear? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Like like Julia said, the, the interesting is that people will even try to cor correct you on your own personal story. <laughs> they went you you could have been there, witnessed it, and they'll try to tell you it wasn't like that. And and it's funny because, you know, those of us we're all getting, a, most of us are getting around the same age, early early forties, late thirties, early fifties, late forties, right? So those of us of this age, we come from the hip hop culture. Yes. And when they do these documentaries on these rappers, and the Biggie one is coming out soon, I, I always get a kick out how everybody tries to change history, and I'll be like. It wasn't like that. Like, like, like this stuff, to me, you know, we be feeling like we forever young. So we be like, it was just a couple months ago. Like, it was just last week. Like, I was there. I was part of that movement. I I wore Tim's. I wore Tim's. Like, I was into the North. You start even going about the clothes. Be like, yo, we was there with Coogee sweaters. And then, like, a, a person would be like, oh, that's not what really happened. You'd be like. How you gonna tell me what happened? I lived it. Right, right. You know, and, and and but that's the reason why. And I asked a question a couple days ago. I said, "Is it important for movies or documentaries that talk about real life people to tell the truth?" Mm. Because a lot of people get their history. From the visual, a lot of people ain't picking up a book. No, I mean you got you got. I'm gonna just use this book because I just thought about it, like the book, The Firm, right? Mm -hmm. like, the movie is totally different than the book. The whole ending changed. 
So you got people that'll be like, oh, this happened in the firm. This, 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 this. no. Right, exactly. You know, so so I, I believe that one of the things that when you're doing a movie about real life characters, I believe is you got, you should try, and I understand cinema. You mm -hmm. gotta glorify some stuff and make romanticize it, I guess. But I think it's very important that you at least tell the story correctly. Exactly. And I was gonna ask you this, like, well, whose truth is it coming from? Is it coming from your truth? Is it coming from my truth? Is it coming from the truth from the book? You know, so you have to really decipher sometimes, like you said, with the you know, cinema and like piece the, the story together. Then, like you said, people are not reading anymore to actually pick up the book that like, all right, is this all facts? Um, so, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, movies can get away with it because they know that people are not reading. You know, people are really not reading anymore. Got to go back to reading because, you know, sometimes you do read a book like, yo, that is totally different from what y'all put in a movie. Like, look at the, look at the movie Roots and the impact that it had on the culture in the 70s where Alex Haley was literally charged with plagiarism. Right. For the book and the movie came off the book. So it's like, I this movie was what was it based off of? What, what was true? What was false? Like, you know, and so I think it's very important as, as an avid reader, somebody who likes to read, exactly. it needs to be some of these books need to be like, is fiction on top of fiction? <laughs> or it's or it's truth, or it's truth uh in the eyes of such and such, or based off of these because it doesn't sometimes it doesn't tell the story. Right. And going back to what you said about that, think about Barracoon. For those who read Barracoon by Zora Neale Hurston, it took like 60 years for that book to even drop. I mean, after her death, uh, Cujo's death, everybody in that book that was involved death, it took like 60 years for that book to even drop. And I feel that was actually, she told facts that she went down to Africatown in Alabama, in Mobile, Alabama, and actually did um, you know, um, real live interviews and from even like his broken English. So, you know, it's like, but, but why certain certain books are coming out after the fact? You know, what are they really trying to hide? And what I'm saying, they mainstream folks who have control of what um, publishing. Hence why we have to also too look into how can we even publish our own books, we self-publish ourselves and not have to worry about, oh my God, I got to have 50 million people to buy this book. So, so, we gonna wrap the puppy up. Scale to one to ten. I'm going with an eight. I'm, I'm. A, you know what's funny? I'm gonna give the movie a seven plus. What? Um, you know why? Because because I do understand that the movie may pique someone's interest mm -hmm. to read about Fred Hampton, to understand who he was, to understand um what the party was about. Um. To understand that, you know, when you when you if you get that young lady pregnant and she needs Wick, to know that the origin of Wick, the origin of Wick came from the Black Panther Party movement. Exactly. And that right there alone should give some should pique some interest. So I'm gonna give it a seven plus because of that. And I'm a harsh critic. To get a seven plus out of me, I mean, Lakeith Stanfield did an excellent job. Daniel, Daniel did a great job. The story was good. Um, and like, it, it basically, I even though I think that the movie um was spoken for William O'Neill, I think it revived the spirit of Fred Hampton in the process. Right. 
I think it I think overall the majority of people that watch this movie felt I am a revolutionary. Exactly. And then also too, for those who are reading, go pick up the book, um, The Assassination of Fred Hampton. I um heard great things about it. I haven't read it yet. So you know, go pick up the book. I'm gonna order my copy um this week myself. So and just do your Googles, do your research. Yeah. Hey, hey, Julia, you're right. People are not always ready to digest the truth when it's time. You're right. One of, one of the things that um that happens is that a lot of people get exposed to something, and they be or they be so angry after they get exposed to the truth. You be like, "Yo, they did what?" Right. And then you be so angry, you just you know. So sometimes you got to turn that anger into um into action. Yeah. Turn yeah. into action with, with gaining gaining knowledge about. Fred Hampton, you know, you know, Bunchy Carter, and these guys, and, and, and understanding how they moved and why they moved a certain way, right. and if that's in your calling to do what they do and continue to work that they, the great work that they were doing, um, it's in your calling, and you'll know how to move and and what to do and what not to do. And they didn't do anything wrong. They just, they were dealing with a beast, man. Um, oh, they already had a back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm smiling, but I just, I'm not happy. You know, this. Just name it the FBI building. Take that name off that building, please. I'm not. Because I mean, he has some, he has some blood on his hands, but I agree. Yeah. Topic. <laughs> yeah. So everybody in the chat, we appreciate you guys for joining us tonight. Um, you know, Dre, Dre, Dre is not going to be. Dre is not a stranger. It's just the fact that I have to hook up with her um, right now. She's a professor. It's not like <laughs> last year when she was available. She'd be like, oh, I'm available. She's a professor. Plus, she has her own social media stuff going on. She's doing a career list. Plus, she has some her personal time where she just fasts from everybody. She is one of them people that just will just shut off everybody, won't do no social media for two, three weeks right. to re-energize re and reboot. Exactly. To re-energize and reboot. Thank you, Julia, for tuning in. Thank you. And, um, you know, like I said, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And remember to like, share, and subscribe. Y'all have a blessed night. <laughs>